You're listening to Self-Publishing Journeys, the weekly podcast for all new and aspiring self-published authors. Stand by for tips, resources, hints, and practical techniques to help you on your own self-publishing journey. Meet indie authors at different stages of their writing careers and hear how they manage to get their own books published and making sales. For show notes, web links, and useful resources, please head to selfpublishingjourneys.com. Now, here's your show host, self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague. Hello, and welcome to Self-Publishing Journeys, episode number 102, for Monday, the 12th of February, 2018. My guest today is Ewan Lawson, who is an experienced general practitioner and a fellow of the Royal College of General Practitioners. He's the deputy editor of the British Journal of General Practice and BJGP Open. Ewan writes non-fiction and fiction across a whole range of topics and genres. Most recently, he's co-authored The Healthy Writer with indie author Joanna Penn. When we chatted for the podcast, I started by asking Ewan which came first, the professional writing or an early desire to be a writer? I think my professional writing as a doctor came first. I've been writing around medical topics, particularly addiction and opinions, opinion medical writing for years and the fiction i kind of I had a funny period in my 30s where I, I let fiction go for a few years and then came back to it with a vengeance having spent a lot of time reading non-fiction and i, I always fancied writing a, a fiction book but didn't I, I i didn't kind of it didn't crystallize in my mind until i came back to fiction again a few years ago um, and dropped the non-fiction and discovered you know and remembered just how how in love i was with reading fiction and being immersed in it so as a kid were you were you a reader rather than a writer because a lot of the authors i i speak to have been just scribbling for years yeah i, I know i thought that kind of very aware that I've, i don't, i never had that i was born to write kind of feeling and um, particularly i but i've always have written i guess and you know through english and um other things through my english you know academic studies but yeah i was a i was a voracious reader i, I kind of devoured books and particularly fiction when i was in that sort of teenage I went through fantasy and crime and thrillers and all the th- the books you'd expect um you know secondary school children to read boy who were voracious readers at age in the 80s and 90s i absolutely tore through all of them so i, I was i was a huge reader but and i i think when i got to university i always thought i was going to do some writing but never managed to put it into action and then a lot of the writing you will have done will have been extremely uh, technical and precise as well i guess Oh yeah, to tell me about it. That's that's a, and so that's a really, that's an interesting point because that's a massive problem for me that I'm having to beat out of myself as well when it comes to writing for a wider audience. And I'm, a lot of my writing has been for a kind of a GP readership or a doctor readership. So yeah, you do get into there's a whole other language with medicine. You know the the language used of academia and actually just medical words. You, you forget just you, you forget what it's like not to have been immersed in those and steeped in them for years. And so uh, Joanna Penn, who we've, I've written the book with this last year has been uh, slowly um you know trying to beat that out of me because uh, that's probably one of my biggest you know the biggest things i have to watch is actually trying to drag my language back to make sure it's really it doesn't go too far that way well before joanna penn which is where most people have, have heard of you if i look yeah. at your amazon uh, author profile i can see two <laughs> books i can find one that's uh, 99 pounds in hardcover it's one of these bizarre ones uh, oh. for gp well-being and then yeah. got the uh, sort of what <laughs> looks like a more modern uh, cover on it um as well which is yeah. 1999 a bit more reasonable so tell me about the, the history of those 
Well, that's actually both just in the last year. So they were, they were, the um, it was only published in, I think, October in the end. It was a bit late, actually, as well, the uh, the GP burnout book. And they both really happened. I wrote they were, they've both been written and sorted out in the past 12 months. So I've suddenly gone from having a, you know, a desire to write books and be involved in doing nothing for years on end to suddenly having had two out in a year. So it's been a bit of a funny year in that regard. Um, I, I, it very much came down to my kind of approach and change of focus that I've suddenly managed to um, uh, to uh, to find um, in the end um but um so the, 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 the it's very strange the 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 gp burnout one because it's um it was mostly editing i didn't write all that much for it there's a there's a couple of chapters in there on mine but it was mostly an editing project but that was very much being part of the traditional academic um publishing industry so it's really interesting to compare the experience with that with my experience uh, on the self-publishing side and um, with Joanna's guidance as well, of course. And the posh version of that is through CRC Press. So this is what a, yeah. uh, um, a an educational press, presumably. Yeah, they are. They absolutely. But, oh, I'm not. Sure, I'm not sure what the CRC stands for. Actually, now I think about it, but they're Taylor and Francis, basically. So they're um, yeah, very much the academic, and they they write a whole lot of. I think they're they're all medical books, as far as I'm aware. Um, I haven't delved too much into their catalogue. So that was one of those where um, you know, I had to you know, wrote a book proposal, went to the committee, they decided, they gave us a deadline, we delivered. Uh, and then we went through a kind of remote process of it being. Um, it wasn't really edited, but it was proofread. Uh, got a very light copy edit. If I don't think it got anything particularly of uh, significance, and then they they punt it out, and then they forget about you. In terms of the marketing side, they do almost nothing. <laughs> it, it's it's brought back all sorts of academic nightmares because I'm looking at the book preview here. It's got references and and all sorts. I mean, it, it's more <laughs> like a dissertation than a book, real, isn't it? Yeah, it's, uh, it's very dense in that regard. It's very, it's much more at the academic end of the spectrum. You know, you wouldn't write a thousand words without 15, 20 references minimum to, um, to back up whatever you said. You're not allowed to. And it's, it's trying to get that out of myself as well a little because I work at the university for sort of most of my time these days. And you're not allowed to state any fact without backing it up with some kind of reference. And so I, I've had to let go of that a little bit as well sometimes when I'm writing for a, a wider audience. You don't have to justify absolutely everything at the end of every sentence. And we should say then if if people are looking for the healthy writer, just make sure you click on the right one because you'll get a surprise if you buy if you buy the GP Wellbeing book. It's 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 got completely different, really, isn't it? There's some interesting stuff in there actually about that kind of burnout side of things. So they may, you may find something, but you'll certainly get a shock if you pay ninety nine pounds for the hardback. <laughs> um, I, I'm not I, I'm not sure if they've sold a single one of those. Um, and I, I, they didn't even tell us they were going to do it. I, it was as much of a surprise to me when I saw it on Amazon as anyone else. <laughs> so it's the first book I've heard of that needs a, an easy payment scheme to buy it. Uh, 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 medical textbooks are insane, the pricing. And uh, academic te- textbooks are absolutely – and it is a shocking racket in terms of, you know, I, they, they only sell tiny numbers. So it's a very odd business model, that traditional side of things. And I, I don't um, – uh, I, I can't say I'm too enamoured of it. <laughs> so I, I got to ask you then, you, you know, in terms of the royalties and, 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 and when the checks come in and how much mm. uh, you know about what's going on, how is it for you? Well, I have to say it's too soon to know. Haven't, haven't in terms of the academic side that we've had. No, there's been it's it's tumbleweed so far. We've heard nothing, but I don't think it's been out long enough to actually have been through the process. And I suspect I think they're paid annually, so as well. So I'm not expecting to hear anything for a little while. It'll probably be Christmas next year before I even before I even hear about it. Well, that's really interesting <laughs> because I, I I'm just going to jump momentarily, but I bet you've probably already had a payment, haven't you, from your self published book? Are, are you? Uh, 
Well, there's certainly, I, I certainly think that um, Joanna has been. I have. She hasn't given me the full because she's because she's published through her Curl Up Press, mm. her new that she's uh, her new publishing imprint. Um, so she hasn't sent me the details yet. But she was going to send them through in the next week or two. But I know that she's, there's some money come through already that has been used for um, uh, production of the audio book. Oh right, so yeah, reinvested in. So at least it's generated yeah. some cash that you've actually well not seen, but it's brought some marketing benefit to you. Yeah, that's right. It's immediately, you know, there's an immediate impact. And the difference is st- staggering, really. It's like night and day compared to traditional publishing and self-publishing. It's, it's, um, it, 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 and it just it amazes me the traditional publishing industry still exists in, in terms of the way that it's conducted itself. But yeah, having, I mean, having said that, you know, I was having a chat today to another doctor who's an author with a very successful health book for women. And um, it's brought a lot of other benefits. The money side of things isn't, um, uh, the, you know, the hard cash from the royalties is not so much of an issue as the sort of the authority building that has happened by being published traditionally. Yeah, it's really interesting you say that, actually, because a lot of people will have a nonfiction book as a loss leader and yeah, they'll get a lecture tour from it or something like that. That's actually where the money is from the credibility and the consultation that comes after that. Yeah, I think there's all sorts of, you know, you, that's that build that build your business around a book sort of approach that Jim Cookrell will kind of pushes or that 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 kind of I think that's the attitude with a lot of nonfiction that probably you have to take. Um, certainly with some of these, you, may, you know, a single book and you could be made if you can you can build your business around it. Uh, and certainly the I think the experience uh, for her in terms of this book was producing 100,000 words. <laughs> for the traditional published industry was so hard and so painful it'll be a little while before she feels ready to do another book <laughs> so that's i just want to delve into a, uh, into what kind of doctor are you uh that 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 yep. question you know so if if i were to show you my rash mm. just here um are you the kind of doctor who'd say you know rub a well, bit of cream on it well what kind of doctor are you <laughs> yeah 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 I'm, so i'm a i'm a gp a general practitioner so um you know people in the uk and australia and canada maybe would understand what that is but um so i'm a family medicine specialist so um it's Sometimes it's a slightly weird thing because you're called a family medicine specialist or a generalist. So we see, we see pretty much everything which doesn't end up in the hospitals. It's all based out in the community. Um, I have had a special interest in addictions for years, though. I haven't done so much in the past year of that, um, working with people who inject drugs and heroin and crack cocaine. And that's been my special interest for many years, so, which has been interesting in terms of really my interest in habits and uh, that go and to do with health and uh, how they can be um, managed. So that's the extreme end of the spectrum in terms of bad habits, perhaps. Um, uh, But I've also got a special interest in education, um, and I work at the medical school, as I said already. And I also, um, I've always been a bit of a portfolio GP uh, with lots of different strings to my bow. I'm also an editor at a medical journal, so um, I do some editing there and some writing as well. And your 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 bio says you're also an ex-British Army doctor. So, uh, what, what yeah. did that involve? Was that was that you know behind a desk? Or was it in the field? No. Well, it's a bit of the thing about being a doctor in the army is you're ultimately there to be a doctor rather than do anything else. You're not expected to go do all the really roughy, roughy, tufty stuff. It's not quite like so much or anything like that. No, well, it's, yeah, I, I was never attached to a field hospital, so it might not be dissimilar. I'm not sure we were quite as witty as they were in MASH in that regard and quite as crazy. Um, I worked, basically, I was GP in the, in the army. Um, and so I was attached to a regiment. I went on exercise, I suppose, in places like Poland and Germany. Um, I was out in Brunei with the Gurkhas um, at the Jungle Warfare Training Wing for a bit as well. 
Um, and I got out in 2004. So I, I did see a bit of the world, um, but mostly I saw a bit of the world and treated people's rashes when they got there. <laughs> but the reason I'm asking you this, because we're going to delve into your <laughs> fiction aspirations later too, is that sure. I, I'm guessing we've got some quite good inspiration from this. So great sort of life experience. Cause you're not a doctor who's been, you know, sat with a stethoscope at a desk <laughs> in your life. You've actually been out there doing some really practical stuff. Yeah, I think I've a little bit. I, I, it's interesting, actually. I'm not sure how much of my fiction leads directly from the medical stuff, but I, I have been brewing up a few. Um, I, I guess, actually, well, I, I've never thought of it in those terms. I guess, you know, it's that whole your first fiction is always autobiographical. But um, I'm, I'm not sure mine is at the moment, actually. But um, I do have a little bit of life experience in terms of overseas travel and stuff like that, which perhaps has been as I've pulled into my certainly my fiction aspirations at the moment. Now, you, you've got a website, which is youandlawson.com, mm. and yeah. um, it's sort of got pictures of you being really healthy and fit, uh, which is quite frightening for a guy like me. And uh, But you, <laughs> you, you've got this um, booklet, The Healthy Bloke Action Plan. So did this come before you were with Drana? Is this where you were positioning yourself before that? Well, I, I, no, it came very much at the end of this last uh, end of 2017 that I had to decide where to position myself. Um, and I, and to be honest, Paul, I have wrestled with this in that because my biggest problem has been, and this is perhaps one that other people might have experienced, has been focus. I've had far too many things I've wanted to do, and I haven't been disciplined enough to focus on one niche. And I think that kind of niche thing is so important when it comes to probably any self-publishing and certainly non-fiction is knowing what your niche is and my problem has been I haven't been very good at focusing but I had a sudden flash of inspiration at the end of um, last year that actually my niche was going to be about you know <laughs> you get the men's health and particularly about middle-aged men who are just you know struggling to stay fit with everything else going on in their life so obviously clearly I have experience of that in terms of being busy and trying to stay fit um, and so I decided that was the kind of neat. And I thought it's a, it's a little bit underserved. There's a lot of guys out there who would like to get a bit fitter. But I, I get a bit demoralized as a doctor by the constant, um, you know, the, the very unrealistic health aspirations you see. Like people with six packs and, you know, people talking about Instagram photos of people being shredded and, you know, really that kind of super fit strength kind of um, approach to health, which I just think is really unrealistic for most people and not what most people and most most men want so i that healthy bloke action plan was very much about me positioning myself in that niche obviously the usual sort of self-publishing process of trying to start building up an email list um and i plan to really that's something in the next year i i plan to really dig really deep into non-fiction wise is that you know helping men get a little bit fitter get a little bit healthier get a little bit happier um, and live, um, you know, and just just live a little bit better than they are at the moment. You've already mentioned a couple of things that make me see that you've got self-publishing and, and being an author um, well on your radar. So you mentioned Jim Cook, well, obviously you, you met Joanna Penn. You know about building mailing lists and things like this. So this kind of gives the game away that you're, <laughs> you're, you're this is you know you're you're immersed in this. So I'm wondering when yeah. you started to get immersed in this and started to to pick up all these things and listen to the podcasts. Well, that's the thing that I'm slightly embarrassed about, which which is why my, you know, it's my 
why I allude to talking about focus, because I think I've been reading about this since about 2006 um, and listening to podcasts when they first came out and thinking, well, I'll just get that sorted next week or the week after and never quite getting down to doing anything. And my hard drive is littered with books I didn't finish, fiction, nonfiction, ideas for various things. And I've so I've kind of followed this whole self-publishing boom for the last 10 years, but actually really stupidly never took action. And never got on with it. And actually, because of course, of course, the, the, the big explosion has really happened, has happened already. And things are starting to change a little bit and mature in terms of the self-publishing market. But um, yeah, so it's been a little while now. I can go back and look at some of the books. I, f- I forget his name. There was a chap called How to Publish on Amazon, Aaron. Um, I forget. He's, all his books were um, self, very much sort of print on demand when there was still a little bit of a stigma associated with it. And I devoured all of those. And um, I, so I've been following this kind of niche for um, a lot of years, and I'm slightly embarrassed by how many years because I haven't taken action to get into it, which I've been desperately wanting to do for a long time. So tell me about those uh, fiction books that never got finished or never progressed. What what genre were they and, and, and what was the problem with yeah. finishing them? Um, I, well, that's a good question. I've got sort of um, I've got a, a thriller. I've got I suppose they're thrillers, crime thrillers, certainly. There's usually a crime, I guess, but slightly more the thriller end of the spectrum. I had a slight, I've got a satirical novel about a guy who gets mistaken for a modern day um, William Wallace when he accidentally kills somebody in a Scottish, um, which was more satire, I think. And I wrote that for um, NaNoWriMo, actually, back in about 2013 or 12. It might have been, it might even have been 2011. And, do you know, it was rubbish. <laughs> I think that's, I think that's probably why they didn't go anywhere, because it was just rubbish. <laughs> And I was particularly, but I think what I didn't, and I've got a few others which are more crime about private detectives, and I've got another one which is the probably my really the one I really want to get on with, which is a kind of a private detective crime thriller, but very much based around it's a Kathmandu noir sort of feel to it, about based on my experience of I've been to Nepal quite a few times, and having worked with the Gurkhas, so I've got a little bit of understanding of their culture. Um, but again, I've, I, kinda, I wrote that for NaNoWriMo and got through about sort of 40, 50,000 words and then put it aside, dismayed at how absolute garbage it was. Um, and so I think my problem has been, uh, and I've heard a lot of authors talk about this, is that, you know, it's pushing past that 30, 40,000 point at which you feel it's just dreadful. Um, and I keep putting them aside and not coming back to them. And that has been my problem. I always push people when they say their first books are rubbish because I want to know what made them rubbish. You're you're capable well, of getting yeah. work published. You're capable of academic yeah. writing. So why could you not get a a fifty thousand word fiction book? Yeah, written? and I know they, they, what, the reason they're rubbish is because I've only done one draft, mm. uh, and that's that's exactly why they're rubbish. Is because I haven't gone back and done because I know that when I write nonfiction, I have to I'm four, five, six, seven drafts down the line before I can stop looking at it and feeling a little bit dismayed at how rubbish it is. And there's no reason it should be any different for fiction you have to go back and rewrite and rewrite and i know that i just um i think it's just taking me a tremendously long time to realize that's the case with fiction um and i need to do exactly the same i think one of the other problems with writing is that writing short articles is you get is the feedback loops is a real problem and the problem with writing longer form fiction is that the feedback loops are diabolical it takes months before anybody tells you what it's like and so it really makes it harder to improve Whereas if you write an article and you get immediate feedback from an editor or from someone who reads it, you, um, yeah, there's immediately an opportunity to improve and it just it helps jolly you along. You see it in public. There's a kind of a natural effect which keeps you moving forward and, keep it, and, and also improving. 
But actually, that's really hard to achieve with the longer form fiction. And I think that's probably been those couple of things have been my problem. And when you write, uh, presumably you're a uh, you work at a laptop, do you? you're an electronic writer, yeah. or a hand writer. Yeah. Yeah, I, I occasionally will actually quite I quite like to just take my drag my eyes away from the screen every now and again. And I, I will occasionally rough out I'll rough out outlines on paper. Um, and I'll often use mind maps for that as well, actually. And I find that really helpful just to kind of get me thinking a bit more creatively. But um, I will I have to say that healthy writer, I will dictate actually first drafts um, and then I'm onto the screen. Yeah, but I have increasingly tried to dictate and I find dictating the medical stuff or the nonfiction stuff for the first draft relatively easy. I have not got very good at dictating fiction just yet. Um, and I think that's just practice. Are you using Dragon for that? I think Dragon's got a medical version, hasn't it? You know, I, I, the thing is, yeah, absolutely. I am using Dragon. And um, the amazing thing about Dragon is even Dragon on the Mac, which is universally derided, mm. um, is absolutely amazing for medical stuff. It, it was, it was, the accuracy was astonishing. Straight out of the box, I used it. It was, ni- it was over 99%. It recognises all the medical words. So, I mean, the medical, event- the medical edition is tremendously expensive and is really for use in sort of professional scenarios but the um it seems to have trickled down to the um the other versions as well so um yeah, if you're writing anything medical dragon is amazing um so uh, yeah I, but I've, I've increasingly tried to follow that advice that you see um as it's scott baker i think on about dictating all the time so now i try and dictate into my phone when it's emails or text messages i'm trying just to do it more and more and get better and better at it Mm, it's interesting. So you, you're a very early adopter with dictation by the sounds of it. You've been doing it a few years. Um, no, probably I, I've tried for it really the last year more than anything. The interesting thing about being a doctor is that actually as a junior doctor, we had to dictate all our letters. Mm. Um, so actually I got a lot of practice dictating when I was in my sort of late 20s for, um, you know, if you saw somebody in clinic or discharge letters, they all got dictated onto the, one of those little mini tapes and sent to the secretaries for um, transcription. So um, we, I, I, I'm actually quite comfortable with it. And in terms of things like putting in, you know, the, the, the biggest problem people often mention is the punctuation, of course. And um, I, I don't have a problem with that. I, f- I find fiction a problem because the speech is really weird. Doing quote, quote marks is a really, I find that still odd. But all the other punctuation, I have no problem. I, I, to the extent that I'm so relaxed with it, I sometimes find myself... I have done this before that when I've been speaking on the phone to somebody, I have added punctuation to our conversation. <laughs> <laughs> That's when you know you're getting totally into it. Brilliant. That's excellent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, I need to ask you then, when um, I think you were at one of Joanna's events, weren't you? Is that how you came into her orbit? It, yes, very much so. So it was Orna Ross and um, Joanne. So Orna Ross has, um, has done, does these sort of creativity events. And it was uh, November 2016, so just a year and a bit ago, that um, I went to her event. And that one was co-hosted with jo- um, Joanna, which was about making a living out of writing, I think. But Orna had a lot of creative um, sort of elements to it as well. And actually, the, the, the bits that Joanna did, I was had because I'd been following all the podcasts and reading all the blogs for years, I was fairly aware of. But the stuff that Orna did was a massively liberating experience for me. It was incredible. And um, my, the big experience I had then was that Orna said at the end, so what are you going to give up to follow this passion? And I had, an, I had a sort of a flash of realization that I needed to give up my PhD um and i duly went and i hadn't thought about it all day i had no it didn't hold any interest to me 
Um, and I went back, Julie went back a week or two later and threw the towel in with that. And then that was really then in that year since then is when obviously I've had two books come out is that it just shows that once I stopped focusing on that, and really, I think it's what Steve Pressfield would call resistance was me doing a PhD. It was me really not quite, you know, shadow career. It was almost what I wanted to do, but not quite. And when I tossed it in, then absolutely, I kind of, it, it liberated me, gave me a little bit more time and space in my own head to actually get on with doing what I wanted to do. So why were you at that event then? Something got you down to London. I think it was in London that event, yeah. wasn't it? Something got you down there and, and you must have yeah. had a kind of motivation or reason for being there, even maybe if you hadn't realised it at the time. Well, I think I know I was increasingly, I, I think I wanted to do everything. That was a problem. I wanted to do the PhD. I wanted to publish, self-publish. I wanted to write fiction. I wanted to write non-fiction. I wanted to produce online courses, still do. There was, and my problem was I wanted to do everything. And it, so it was one of the things I wanted to do. But I actually realized when I was down there, it was the thing I wanted to do the most um, was the writing and writing for myself rather than writing for, you know, some academic piece of paper. And how did the uh, meeting, it's like a meeting between McCartney and Lennon, isn't it? How did the meeting with uh, Joanna Penn occur? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure I'd go that far. <laughs> it's about overstated slightly. The, um, well, we never, we, the funny thing was, we we didn't really, I just said hello on the day, that we didn't have any conversation then. And I, it was about a month or two later that I emailed her with a proposal. And I think I picked up on the fact on her podcast, she was talking about health stuff quite a lot. And so I was in the car thinking I, I could totally I could we could I could write a book with her on this. This would be great. And so I, when I got out of the car, I wrote the email and um, and she said, yeah, that sounds that sounds great. Let's do it. And we then wrote the book and didn't meet until the December. So the entire we, we spoke on Skype and on the telephone, but we, we didn't actually meet through the entire process. And we only met in December um, again for the second time ever at owners at owners event again in December. And then that was a, and the book by then was finished uh, and done and we were on to marketing. So, um, it just, it, I mean, it just shows the incredible power of technology and, and, you know, and the options for co-authoring now and ge- geography is certainly no barrier. Now, the funny thing about being a co-author is that in many respects, it's longer than a marriage. It's, it's uh, because you've got the royalties after your death is longer than a marriage. So, so. I, know, I think Joanna said that. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it is. And it's an, it's an incredible commitment in that regard. Um, and I, you know, I feel very relaxed about it in that Joanna's so organized. And that's been a real object lesson in terms of how to manage your affairs as a self-published author in terms of planning and process. And we had a very, we went through the whole, you know, there was a bit of a, a little bit of a courting process at the start where I wrote a chapter and she checked I wasn't, you know, I could string a couple of words together. I, I remember at the time I had to rewrite that chapter, though, because it, the first one was so loaded with medical jargon and terminology. And even though I thought I had toned it down, I, I really hadn't anything like enough. So I had to make it another step to prove that I could actually write for a more general audience readership. And um, so we did go through that sort of, you know, due diligence kind of process at the start. And then Joanna had a very um, sensible contract drawn up, which, you know, as I just say, takes into account some of these um, issues that can go on for many years after we die. OK, so um, in terms of the commitment that you've got, does it mm. does it state the number of years that it goes for? But is, is, is it? Was it 75 uh, years after your death or something like that? Yeah, I don't know if the contract actually states that. But, yeah, I think it uh, Yeah, I think it must be in some shape or form. I can't remember exactly what the contract says now in that regard. But, yeah, I th- that's basically the top and bottom of it. And it's, uh, that sits with Curl Up Press now, I think. 
So, I mean, I, I kind of, it's one of those things, it's hard to imagine, isn't it? It's hard to imagine. And people find it difficult to imagine five minutes beyond their own death, is my experience as a doctor. They, they, don't, really, they don't really think that far ahead. Um, and they, everybody still has that slight view that it will never happen to them. Um, but, uh, so yeah, I'm not entirely sure off the top of my head. <laughs> Having then uh, followed Joanna's podcast, as I think you did beforehand for a couple of years, you, she was on your yeah. radar. And um, how intimidating was it to to write with somebody like Joanna? Yeah, uh, well, on one hand, completely intimidating. On the other hand, absolutely fine because she was very um, she was very careful with me. I think the uh, it was very intimidating. And the, the most intimidating bit was, I think, which would, wasn't so much because it was Joanna, because it was hard to share a relatively early draft with her, almost first draft. It was really a first draft which just had some of the most some of the really hideous typos taken out of it um, from dictating. So I had to share a very early draft with it. And that was horrible, you know, because I, I'm, I'm sure lots of people have experienced this. When you write your first draft, you don't want anybody to see it. And you talk about writing a first draft for yourself, but then you have to share it with your co-author. So that was really hard and very intimidating. Um, but actually she was, you know, the thing about Joanna, she's very, what you hear on the podcast is very much her. She's, you know, she understands the stresses and strains of what it's like to be a writer, the anxiety, the imposter syndrome, all that sort of side of things. So actually she was, um, um, you know, it was, it was, um, it was a pleasure really, I have to say. And what did you learn from it as a writer? I know you struggled with the, the, the formal language that you'd been using in the medical writing that you'd done, but what, what did you have to uh, sort of change about your writing to to get this suitable for this book yeah and so one of the kind of thing i had to look at was i had to write in um uh more like much snappier paragraphs actually for the non-fiction side of things you know very short paragraphs breaking things up no dense blocks of what i thought was a relatively short paragraph turned out to be a horrifically dense block of text Mm. according to everyone else and so i had to really move a long way to kind of breaking that up and um uh, and making it much more accessible and easy to read. That that was probably the biggest change, and that was certainly the thing that I noticed um, most every time I got a bit of feedback and had to come back and do some changes. And also just looking at, you know, as we were going through it, you know, Joanna's style as well, so that we were kind of putting things together. How much input did you have on things like, you know, title, cover, uh, or, or layout, that sort of thing? Or did you just hand the, the, the No, over? well, I mean, I, no, I think, you know, Joanna used all her people for that, and she's got you know a kind of team around her. But no, I, I, she was really great about consulting me at each stage and deciding on the title and uh, and the cover. And I think it got sent off with some ideas, and it came back, and we agreed. We, we agreed between us, and the, the, I think we started with the healthy author. Actually, was the tight working title, so we didn't move too much on that. But we both did a bit of work on just the subtitle, making sure that, that fit. So yeah, you know, really, it was very much sort of. She was very collaborative in that regard. Um, Absolutely no question. So she's, I would say I've had much less involvement in the marketing side because a lot of that is using the leverage of Joanna's um, email list and her, uh, her um, resources. But, uh, you know, I've been involved in all that as well. So she's been, she's been really great. You know, it's a, I think I've, I've been spoiled to be honest. I think I've had to write, I've, writing with someone else in the future will be a, um, certainly a very different experience, I'm sure. <laughs> so, so dare I ask that, is it, is it a straight 50-50 split? Because if there are adverts involved here and there's cover designers and things like that, you've got some costs of setup, costs of release there to pay for. I'm just interested to yeah. to, to dig into uh, that. 
Yeah, yeah, that's how it stands at the moment. It's a straight. It is a straight. It's straight down the middle. But um, curl up press has absorbed some of those costs as well. So, um, but things like the audiobook um, that will be taken out. Even you know that we're going. That's been we're going a model where that's getting paid up front. So we'll just split that fifty fifty as well. And then, as far as you're concerned, having gone through this experience with Joanna and gone through a more traditional academic experience, what are your what are your feelings about uh, being an indie author so far? <laughs> I think it's great. I, yeah, I, I would be. I'm. It, it's everything I would hope it would be in many ways. I, I feel like so much. One of the big things is just the control element. Uh, I don't like the thought of being a little wheel in that big um, traditional publishing machine. And th- there's absolutely no question that the self-publishing. The I, I love the entrepreneurial sort of dimension to it and that control. So yeah, it's um, all it's done is you know stimulated my appetite to get involved a lot more and actually make sure I get down to writing more as well. And then as far as the marketing is concerned, though, have you been in a position to, to learn that you, or have you have you got your hands dirty with any of it or has it sort of been happening around you? Uh, to a certain extent, the, the, well, the nuts and bolts happen through Joanna. So in terms of the actual getting online and, you know, filling in a Facebook ad um, paperwork and things, though Joanna will herself say she had a bit of a nightmare with that because it's incredibly difficult to make any health claims on Facebook. And I think, as she said in her blog, at one point she actually got locked up. She got she got barred on Facebook ads. <laughs> We've all had that experience at some time. It it, it means yeah. you're being marketing enough if you get barred at some point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, so I haven't had to do the nuts and bolts of that. But the bit the nuts and bolts I've had to do have been very much more like recording videos and getting out and trying to do that sort of side of things, which has been quite hard you know, in terms of that slight reticence to get in front of a camera and pictures of you know so that we could do a little two or three minute video clips of you know my my journey as a to a healthy writer and joanna's done the same so we've tried to balance that side of things so it's been trying you know understanding and pushing on that those aspects have been um for me to do um the technical bits of actually sticking adverts out joanna has done that through her interface and um her side um so but i certainly feel that i've got a, a We've had we sat and had marketing meetings about exactly all the areas we're going to cover. So, um, yeah, it's been really interesting. And how useful has it been for you so far um, to be able to ride on Joanna's platform? So as a an unknown author yourself, there's you've got massive exposure from this. How, how helpful has that yeah. been? Um, well, I think I mean, I, I can't see how it's. I mean, it's been great. I mean, otherwise, I think that you would be the diff. If I launched this book on my own, I'd be launching to you know to tumbleweed. I think is the, the would be the difficulty. So, getting any exposure at all would be incredibly challenging. Um, so, I I mean, I have I just count myself as very fortunate, and I, and I think it's a. But I think it's been a good example of the book would be very different if it were just written by me. And Joanna has said herself she couldn't have done this sort of the more medical aspects of it. So actually, we were just a really good, I think we were a good fit for this book in terms of putting our voices together and actually giving, a, adding an extra dimension to the book from whichever way you look at it has, um, has been a really mutually beneficial side of, thing, side of, side of things. Uh, clearly, from my perspective, it, it's obviously a massive bonus to actually you know, know that a few copies are going to get sold. <laughs> otherwise, that would be the, otherwise the risk. If, it, if I were doing it myself as an unknown doctor, just sticking a book out there for writers, there would, it would be very tough to break through at the beginning. 
Well, in Amazon, there is an extremely nicely keyworded book description. So that, that'll get found when people search. And um, yeah. there's a big list of what's in the book. And I, I would have thought if you'd have asked me off the top of my head, I'd have said, well, sedentary lifestyle and IRSI are probably the biggest things that <laughs> could hit an author. But now you've, yeah. you've panicked me reading this list. There's all sorts of things that can happen to me. It's really dangerous well, being a writer. It's highly hazardous, yeah. I think you should be very careful. The, uh, you need to get out and, you know, get just sitting there. Could put your old... I think the thing about the book, is it's one of those it's, you know writing a general textbook that covers all things is i i sincerely hope that um uh, people won't suffer from all, all of the problems in there um uh, there i would be having a bad time of it so it might be one to dip into and i think it has a bit of a it's one of those books as joanna says it has a bit of a long tail that i we expect it to do you know it's people aren't going to rush out and buy it instantly but i think it'll but it'll have it'll have some legs so hopefully it'll be useful for people for a few years to come yeah there's some really interesting stuff in there i mean rsi i always think is being the um the most dangerous one or the one we're probably most exposed to which is obviously why you are yeah. using dictation and I, i've bought dragon and haven't got round mm. to it because yeah. i have the pain or, or the gear change i know i'm going to have to go through in terms of, of banging the words out so um, yeah how, how, how much of a problem is our rsi is it something that we're almost inevitably going to get no, I, I wouldn't say that at all. Lots of people could bang away with their absolutely deficient techniques for years and not have any problems, I think. And, uh, you, you know, if your background is a journalist in, in terms of, you know, spending hours at a keyboard or, you know, and hacking away, actually not everybody will have any difficulties. But I think, um, I, so it's not by no means inevitable. So I wouldn't wish to sort of be all doom laden about it in that regard. I think if you do get it, it can be devastating and it can cause, it can be an enormously stressful experience because it, you know, if you're if you're if it's your living, then it's a horror story. If you suddenly can't type or it causes you enormous pain to do something which you do without thinking about. So it, it's potentially absolutely horrific for those that start to suffer from it. And it's mostly it's really just very preventable with quite some simple measures more than anything. And just paying a bit of attention, taking regular breaks. Laptops are bad, aren't they? Uh, you know, they kind of they really do. They're really not good for your general the way that you're sort of crane down at them and your wrists are all twisted over them um and um so i think interestingly joanna's experience of this is that it just it her was everything was linked together as well you know to back pain neck pain it was a whole kind of biomechanical postural problem and actually the solution in the end wasn't about you know being ergonomically perfectly set up with a perfect desk it was about getting some exercise and, and yoga i think was the thing that really worked for her um, and so it, it, a lot of these things are enormously interlinked and being generally sedentary actually is generally, you know, obviously is not terribly good for you. I think the great, the, the one of the things about RSI is it does is the problem with being sedentary is nobody really having a heart attack or a stroke 15, 20 years down the line is not something that is very good at making people change their behavior. Having pain when you tap on the keyboard is very good at changing your behavior immediately because obviously there's an immediate benefit from doing something a bit differently. So um, I don't recommend people get RSI in order to achieve that. But if you can do something before you get into problems, that's enormously useful. Yeah, memo to self, must dig out that or dust down the dragon dictation software and, uh, uh, yeah <laughs> i the, the scott baker stuff the advice on it is amazing i think it's scott baker isn't it he's really good, yeah, good yeah. and and um it, there is a bit there is a bit of a curve but it, gosh it's worth it i think 
Yes, I, I, I must do it. I'm in a phase of, of just trying to bang the books out and then I hope to have a more restful period. I'll probably do it, <laughs> do it then. But you know when you just need to get the words out as fast as possible? Yeah. And um, there's always a gear change with these things. I tell you, the biggest thing, um, I, I used to worry about my uh, wrists. I used to feel that maybe RSI was coming. Um, yeah. But, I, but I, I haven't been in a five-day-a-week office for seven yeah. or eight years now since I, I left the Beeb. So I've, I kind of do a bit yeah. of all sorts of that, a bit like you, a bit of portfolio. And yeah. uh, my back hasn't hurt since then. My wrists haven't hurt mm-hmm. since then. Um, and, and just actually leaving the office five days a week, I think at the, when I lost, I, I used to get asthma and don't get that anymore. And I, the only Ooh. thing I can attribute that to, I know it's like I'm cured. It's a miracle. And, uh, <laughs> but it's, um, I, I can only attribute that to five days a week in a workplace. That's, um, yeah. I don't know where it went. Well, I, I don't. I don't know where your workplace. Your workplace was in Cumbria as well, so it's yes. not like you were stuck in some city no. with terrible. No, I, I sometimes wonder if it's just a postural thing. Mm-hmm. Even asthma could. There could be an element of that. You know, if you're stressed and tense, actually, there there could be a certain amount of um, that could have a certain impact on your breathing and how comfortable you feel with it. Yeah, it's funny. It just disappeared when I left work. So that's my that's my <laughs> cure. So yeah, the book's going well. I mean, congratulations on on getting that out. But I I also yeah. know that you aspire to be um, a fiction writer and a thriller writer, which we've discussed briefly. So where where yeah. is this on the list of things to do now? You've you've had this book out. Well, that is a good question because I think one of the things I, I say I've mentioned is that more than anything, I just think that my biggest problem is. For focus and actually just i've got a little haiku on my desk on my wall actually in my office which just says i think it's the productivity haiku which is one thing at a time most important thing first start now and that is kind of that is me all over that i just need to concentrate on one thing i am hoping that i will carve out some time and really do something with this fiction that i've got sitting on my hard drive because i think um, I, I, having got first drafts down, I'm in a position where I could develop them and it would be, there's a, there's a, you know, I've got a bit of a head start on that. So, um, my biggest challenge with that is, uh, it's just being careful that it isn't another form of resistance that I would, you know, I should, <laughs> you know, I could concentrate on one thing and then actually I just get a little bit distracted by this little shiny thing over here and I go off and do that for a bit. And then I do a little bit of that and I come back by the other shiny thing over there. And actually the focus is really the, is really the, the, the absolutely critical thing for me. But when you left Orna's session and you were fired up to, to ditch the PhD, was it fiction yeah. or non-fiction that was firing you there? Um, gosh, it's a good question. I'd have to look back at my notes. I actually think I had both on the list. I'm not sure I drew between them, drew a distinction between them. I honestly don't. So I kind of definitely see my future as writing both. No, no question. Um, so I think I've kind of I've set a modest target at the beginning of this year of at least and sort of a novella in the fiction side completed and out in the wild. So that's what I'm hoping to achieve. Uh, part of my difficulty is a lot of my fiction plans are kind of quite I, I've got certainly a, a series or at least a, a trilogy, if not a, a, an ongoing series. So I keep thinking I want to get all that mapped out before really getting on with the writing of the first one but of course that's just a recipe for that's a recipe for not doing anything as well as the slight risk so i'm just trying to work my way through that it is a challenge and i think lots of people out there will have experienced that it's that kind of what should i start how do i focus how do i concentrate on it and that's really what i'm still wrestling with with the fiction and if you go for fiction will it go straight for self-publishing or will you try and get a trend yeah. deal? 
Um, no, I won't do trad deal at all. I'm not interested. Uh, I'm, 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 I kind of, I review fiction for um, a crime fiction website is one of the things I do as well um, under the, under a pseudonym, which I'd probably is the one I'll use for writing. But, and I read the stuff that comes through in the trad and I'm not always that impressed. And I, I look at these people's careers. Well, they're, they're very good. They're very good writers, but I often think they've been sadly neglected by their traditional publishers. Especially, you know, they're all the, the problem with traditional publishing and crime fiction is they're always after the new hottest thing. And it's insanity because they've got these really competent authors who are putting out now five, six or seven in a series. And they're really good. They are good books. And they're just not getting the kind of exposure or marketing. And no one's making the effort to to kind of build their readership, build their readership at all. Um, and so um, I, I find it quite a, it's a quite a demoralizing scene in that regard. I mean, of course, you get good new ones through, but um, I, I'm yeah, I'm self-publishing all the way on that. Absolutely, no question. And can I probe a bit? Are you going to reveal your thriller name or what? Well, yeah, site that you reveal? yeah, yeah. So I, yeah, I write under my this, I, it's crimefictionlover.com. So that's it's a great website for crime fiction, and um, uh, you know, I've been helping out there for the last year, reviewing and and getting involved in writing their weekly um, newsletter, um, and I write there as Mal McEwen. Aha, uh-huh. right, well, go and, I'll go and have a little look at that. So I've got to ask you then, as somebody who reviews and somebody uh-huh. who is now being reviewed with your book with Joanna, um, yeah. what, what makes a constructive review? Yeah, um, gosh, well, if it's for fiction, I, I think my, that, well, that's a really good question, uh, I, which is a code for I'm not quite sure how to answer it. I... Well, because I'm thinking. Well, the reason I'm pausing is because I've just published a review, which wasn't the, which was a slightly lower ranked review on the website there just now, and I think you've just got to try to still highlight the things which didn't work for you and recognise. Certainly, as a reviewer, I try to recognise the fact that what didn't work for me isn't necessarily the case that it won't work for everyone, and everyone's got to find their niche. And that's part of the problem with reviews, because, of course, and that's the ethos of the self-published fiction author, is that you've got to find your tribe. You want to find the people that like your work and everybody else. Well, it doesn't matter. You've just there's enough people out in the world that you find the ones who love your stuff. And sometimes those reviews are just a snapshot of one person. And so recognizing that you're not and, you know, that's just I'm not the person who's going to read that book. I'm not going to be one of his thousand true fans. And that's just the way it is. But so I try to highlight the stuff that will work for people as well. So in terms of a constructive review is point out the stuff that didn't work for me, point out the stuff that did work for me. And hopefully if you read that, you'll have a better idea about whether it's the kind of thing that you'd be into and you could be one of their thousand true fans. And reviewing all these crime books, does it not give you a little bit of wind beneath your wings to, to get your stuff? Yeah. Well, it does. Every time I, every time I, fin- I read one and finish a review, I'm like, and especially the weekly stuff where I read all the blurbs about, and I was like, oh, that sounds great. I must read that. I must write this. Yeah, it's, de- it's definitely keeping me bubbling along. The, I'm, to be honest, I'm just coming off the back of the, the published, the, the Healthy Writer launch. And I'm, so I've been suffering a little bit of a dip in, a, you know, post-book blues kind of slight dip in um, motivation. I think it's temporary. So I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I know it's temporary and I feel I can start to come through it now into now we're getting into the new year. Um, so, um, yeah, it definitely fires me up a bit. And, it, and I'm really glad I did it. It's an incredible way to be exposed to the genre. And I, I think 
you know, reading widely in the genre and it encourages me to read in the genre in areas I would subgenres I wouldn't go into within that genre. So it's just been incredibly valuable. Um, and it's a real it's a real privilege as a reviewer, of course, to get these books early. So um, I almost always am nice. The, the one <laughs> the one this week was perhaps is the lowest I've ever um, given a star rating to a book. Um, but and I've I've had mixed feelings about that, and I'm racked with guilt, um, and I'm still thinking about it now. Um, but um, it's been an incredible way to be involved, and I, and I would encourage any fiction writer as well. You know, you know, you can go reviewing for all the crime fiction websites, but even just on your blog and reviewing books, and it's a really great way to actually make you think about exactly what worked, what didn't work, what you like, and what you know what I like and what I don't like, and therefore what I should write about. It strikes me chatting to you that you've got a lot of bits and pieces in your life. You said you've got a portfolio career. I know you've got a young family mm. too, and you obviously uh, make great, great efforts to keep fit yourself. Um, so, so I'm wondering how you manage to fit the writing in, because it feels to me like you might have to get it into snatches of time, which often isn't the best way to, to concentrate and get that focus. Yeah, I think that, that is a problem. I, certainly, um, my approach has been to try in the last year, which has worked really well for me with editing the book, has been to measure it in half hour chunks, 30 minute chunks. So a bit like the Pomodoro technique. So 25 minutes and a five minute kind of jump up and down um, just to kind of shake myself a little bit. And then I measure it. And then I actually in my little journal that I have, I actually draw little circles and every circle is an hour. So I shade half. I shade one. I shade half of one in when I've done my half an hour. And that I find really motivating and really helpful in terms of knowing that I've got to do five or six hours this week and I snatch half hours. I take my son to, you know, whether it was badminton or hockey, I've got two hours sitting around waiting. I can get an hour done of writing, sitting in a coffee shop somewhere or sitting in the car. And so, yeah, it's just about trying to build up those half an hour chunks into something more substantial. Uh, and, and I think, you know, last year with The Healthy Writer, I, you know, there was well over 100 hours of just editing by we got to the final stages. And I've every, I've, I, every single one of those little blobs is coloured in in my book. <laughs> now, the other thing I, I want to ask you as well is um, where you go. You've already alluded to the fact that there's a little bit of pain with Joanna in that she was saying, you know, chill, you need to relax, uh, write shorter sentences. So I'm interested yeah. to know then, if you've learned that from working with Joanna, where do you go for craft, um, you know, to improve um, your writing? Because this is going to have to come in with your thrillers, I would think. Yeah, I think um, well, how to improve the fiction. I That's a good question. I don't know. I, I've been wrestling with that a little bit. I started off a Facebook group with a few um, relatively new crime fiction writers. So we've got a little personal Facebook group and we're going to be doing some critiquing with that, I think. So I think, you know, trying to establish and I, I think that's probably a really good model. And that's that's lapsed a little bit in the last few months as I've been distracted um, but I think that's probably the way to go is actually a bit of mutual peer review is the way to manage it. Um, and uh, there is, of course, I think I will hopefully when I get to the final stages, be investing in some professional editorial advice as well. But as I said before, they're kind of those long, that's a very long feedback loop and it's not that helpful when you're carving out the initial sentences. So I'm hoping certainly to get some from, and there's lots of potential places you can go, isn't there, to get involved in a group or try and drag a few people together. And, and really, I just did it by identifying a couple of people who might be interested and then, then stalking them on Twitter or Facebook and saying, you fancy joining this group, we can share, we could share work. And um, that, that's been, that's been quite successful so far. I'm off to, I think I'm off to the, um, 
uh, 20 books to London 50K event oh, as well. I'll see you there. Mm. Jolly good. I think I, I, your name was top of the list, I noticed, on the on the PDF that came around. Well, the only reason for uh, that was is that I helped, <laughs> I helped Craig fix his website. Uh, he ah. couldn't get it going. And I, I, like a fool, I stepped in and fixed it for him. So <laughs> I was the first to register because I was testing my yeah, own yeah. web work. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I, I saw your name straight away there. Yeah. So I kind of, I'm really, I think building those relationships, building, yeah, being involved in the community, that, I think that's the way to go, isn't it? I, in terms of getting feedback on your fiction and developing your craft. And, and I just want to be part of the tribe as well, you know, be helpful. I, I try for several people I've offered and same for your readers, just get in touch with uh, your listeners rather is to get in touch. If you've got a medical problem in your story, I'm very happy just to try and, you know, offer fiction related advice on how to get out of, um, you know, what wrinkles in terms of poisons to use or other little kind of medical things. Um, so I kind of just want to be part of the tribe and sort of try and contribute my little bit and be part of it. This is great, you see, because uh, that's very interesting that you raise that point, because there are uh, ex, uh, you know, police officers, uh, uh, mm. detectives who who actually make a living out of advising yeah. uh, authors. And, and you know, yeah. I, I'm always coming up with uh, different ways to kill people um, in my book. <laughs> in my, in my, it's terrible, isn't it? You're always looking for new ways to kill people. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I think that should be that. That's probably what I need to work. I'm not quite interested in going down the sort of forensic anthropology kind of case Scarpetta route with the medical side of things. But I've definitely got a medical thriller, perhaps bubbling away in the back of my brain as well. Um, so that, that can, I like the pandemic post-apoc stuff as well. So that, that could be a tempting way to go. I've just done a pandemic. I've just called it phase six because I found out that the World Health Organization has a phase six in the, in the six tiers of, uh, of a pandemic, of, a, of an epidemic, which uh, excited me tremendously. So well, I didn't know. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds ideal. That does. Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> and as you say, it's particularly good for finding exotic ways to kill people off. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, you're always having to come up with news, but you could become a, um, an advisor. But I, I, I then you, yeah. so, so your books, then you, you, your thrillers and your crime books, they're not sort of driven then by that medical knowledge. Are they driven by the crime uh, rather than being a doctor first? Yeah, no, I think that's right. I said I have I think they haven't been driven by that particularly but i'm certainly increasingly thinking i think many ways i was like oh i mustn't write something which is just about a a gp that something happens to him otherwise it becomes terribly autobiographical but i think actually i've realized with my fiction that i'm trying too hard to be massively original and reading all these books and reviewing over the past year or two has made me realize that actually one of the most important things is to hit the right tropes in the the subgenre if you hit the right tropes actually that gives you there's lots of ways you can be original around that but actually hitting the right tropes is really important for people to be for a reader to be satisfied by a book. I'm just trying to think, wasn't wasn't Quincy a doctor? Is that, was Quincy- yeah, I love to, to be honest. It's funny, <laughs> it's funny you should mention Quincy. Well, I, Quincy was just about my inspiration for becoming a doctor. I wanted to become a forensic pathologist. I loved Quincy. And this is, of course, back in the day when there wasn't that much in the way of medical drama. And, and you know, Quincy, occasional, they would show a little tiny snippet of skin of a dead body. That was about as gruesome as things got. But Quincy was just a legend. Um, I, unfortunately, I discovered that I, well, I, I knew that I was cover, colorblind. Um, and actually, being a forensic pathologist when you're colorblind is completely impossible. <laughs> oh, that's really interesting. 
Yeah, so that career definitely wasn't open to me. So the Cumbrian Quincy, you could write a, you could write books around a Cumbrian oh, Quincy. Yeah. I'm pleased. I'm just I'm just relieved to know that you're old enough to remember Quincy because things oh, yeah, like this yeah. date you don't know quite a lot. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. It was Quincy, and well, to be fair, Casualty was on the telly then as well. And it was, when Casualty was startlingly original, rather than the sort of the rather soapy thing it is now. But they were they were my you know very much my inspirations for becoming a doctor. <laughs> as you are a doctor, you've got a a profession. Um, and I'm just wondering where you're heading with the writing. Is this is this something that's going to just be run alongside being a doctor? Or do you aspire to be uh, an author? If you could retire one day and be an author, would that be the dream? Um, yeah, I think it probably would be. Actually, I think that would be my preference. I, I like, I enjoy medicine, and um, I, I, the clin- clinical work is very tough, and it's a very tough climate in general practice in the NHS at large at the moment and it 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 drains a lot out of you um, and i find it i find over the years i've discovered that i'm better off doing a little when i can stay really happy and be a really cheerful helpful nice doctor but i there's a limit to how much i can do so i i would it's the problem is it gets very bound up in your identity <laughs> that's one of the challenges um, and so it takes a little while to get your head around thinking about not being a doctor. And I'm, I'm definitely not at that place yet. But if the writing grew, I, I, I think I could see myself going down that road. I'm, I think it would take at least five or 10 years of really everything to go incredibly well and a lot of growth for me to be in that position. So it's not going to happen anytime soon. <laughs> well, congratulations on The Healthy Writer. That's fantastic you. that you've, you've got that out. And it's, you know, great, it's been great to hear about you and hear of your success. Um, where can people find out about uh, you, not just you and Joanna Penn, but about you as well? Yeah, so the, the best place is my website and everything is there. So that's uh, ewanlawson.com, E-U-A-N-L-A-W-S-O-N. So yeah, go there. It's it's all there. I don't actually point to my fiction there, but um, if you wish to track me down from the fiction side, then I would go via crimefictionlover.com and you can find me there under one of the authors. Thank you for listening to this week's Self-Publishing Journeys. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your indie author friends. Or you can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever podcast directory you use. In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week.